you have given us that gracious invitation of favor to come. And we pray that our hearts would do that this morning. We pray not only would our hearts here at Central City Baptist Church this morning come and take refuge in you, but we pray for our sister church just north of here in First Baptist Church uh, there in Salem. Lord, we pray for their pastor, Andy DeWitt, and pray, Lord, as he opens your word there to uh, the saints of uh, Salem First Baptist there, Lord, that your people would be built up and edified, that they would receive your word gladly and be equipped to go out and to declare your glory to the ends of the earth. God, we also pray, Lord, as, as many uh, around the world who are our brothers and sisters suffer, we want to devote ourselves here to praying for them. God, when we think of the persecuted church, Lord, often it's hard for us to fathom what they endure. And yet, brothers and sisters are gathering in underground churches in China, underground churches in North Korea, in Afghanistan and Pakistan, Somalia, Eritrea, India, Nepal, Indonesia, Jordan, and many more. God, for these Christians together, they know the cost. They know that they are forbidden by their government, and yet they gather because they understand that you and you alone are worthy of worship and praise. They understand the beauty of the body of Christ and the need for one another to encourage one another. Lord, as often the persecution drives them to see your faithfulness. Father, let our prayer this morning be lifted up for them. Pray, O oh God, that you would give them the grace to continue to persevere in their faith. Lord, may they not give way to the hope they have in Jesus. When things continue to get hard and persecution presses in, Lord, help them be grounded in Jesus, knowing that he is their hope. God, would you strengthen these brothers and sisters day in and day out. Let them not fall away. Help them hold fast to that hope and faith in Jesus. We ask, oh God, for you to do this as only you can by the power of your word and your spirit. Hold them fast, O oh God. That's our prayer. That's our prayer. And may they be faithful in the midst of it all. Lord, yes, where you can bring relief, we pray for relief. But above all, help them to keep holding fast. God, we also want to pray to here closer to home. Lord, we know this week is, is an election week. You would either have to have everything muted or, or be in a hole to not know that the ads are bombarding for political uh, pleas for votes. God, Lord, yes, help us to be faithful and go and do our civic duty. Help us to be faithful in that, to be good citizens of this country in, in voting. But Lord, here's, here's what we need to, to ask from you more than anything. Help us to remember, regardless of a political party and a victory, you're on the throne. 
You're on the throne reigning right here, right now, as you have been since the world was created. You reign. Your plans will not be thwarted, no matter who's in office. Your plans will not be stopped. Nor will your church cease to exist. Because the Lord Jesus himself, the King of kings, the King of glory, has declared that the gates of hell shall not prevail against my church. So God, we pray that we will hold to this and meditate on it and remember it this day. That it's in your hands. That you are going to press back against the kingdom of darkness the way you have called us to. And that is through making disciples. God, will you ground this truth in our hearts as many are tempted to struggle and fear of what may happen if the the perceived wrong party wins. Calm our hearts knowing that you've got this all. That we not need worry about who is in political power. We need to be grounded in the hope of who is on the throne reigning forever. Will you do that this day, Lord? Will you continue to do that in our hearts? Strengthen us in your goodness and in your sovereignty. And God, as we pray, Lord, let the word this morning drive our hearts to your goodness in that further. Lord, even as we turn to Ruth 2 this morning, we pray, O God, that we would see how you are working all things out for the good of those who love you. You are working all things out to bring about your plans and using various means to get there. So God, help us to trust. Help our our faith to increase this morning through the power of the word and your spirit. Will you drive this word deep in our hearts? We ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, my faith got put to the test about seven years ago. In 2010, I got the dream job of working in college athletics and equipment. I worked for the next two and a half years making a name for myself. I was getting calls on pursuing further advancement in my career. The Lord had a funny way of of thinking in that moment. He called me to leave a full-time job with full-time benefits and as a little bit older than most seminary students and, and go back to school. I went to Louisville, ended up working for UPS for a short time and ended up landing at Texas Roadhouse, which was a little bit better with my school schedule. For the first two years, the Lord provided graciously. And the fall of 2015 came. The Lord took me through a means, kind of like Naomi, wondering, where are you, God? Here I am, have, have left job and career. I've, I've left all these things to pursue seminary, to, to go out thinking at that time still to the nations as a missionary. Where are you, God, in providing for me? Finances began to, to get tighter and tighter. Each time payments were due for seminary, I was paying as I went. I didn't have support. I didn't have the help of anyone. Family, no one. So working 30 plus hours a week as a a waiter and 
and then needing to make these seminary school payments. And each time they were due, I began to wonder, is enough in the bank? Sometimes there was a cent left over as the withdrawal came. Anxiety kept me awake at night. Where are you, God? What are you doing? Here I've, I've abandoned career, I've abandoned self, and you seem to abandon me. What I didn't know is the Lord was working through each of those moments to strengthen my trust in Him. That He was there working. But it was going to be through remarkable ways that I couldn't see. One month it was working through the graciousness of a, a roommate and a colleague. I said, brother, I'm, gonna, I'm going to overdraft if I don't make X amount of dollars tonight. I was $5 short. He lent me the $5 so I didn't overdraft. And the Lord sustained me. The next time around, it was, I'm not going to make it again. God's kindness came in a customer who I still think I did nothing uh, to prove myself of worth in serving him, but left me a tip of $100 that night. His tab was like $15. God graciously works in ways that we can't see to test us, to strengthen our trust in him. Brothers and sisters, God is at work even when it seems like he's not. And he works here in Ruth chapter 2 in the heart of Naomi to draw her near to him. Saying, you think I have left you bitter and everything about you has been forgotten. But I have not. I'm at work. So if you have a Bible, I invite you to turn to Ruth chapter 2 with me this morning. Ruth chapter 2. Last week we saw that uh, Ruth is a Moabite. She comes from the land of, guess what, Moab. Uh, she is, was married into this Israelite family. This family from the town of Bethlehem. Her husband died along with his brother as well as their father. Because this family, this family of Elimelech, went to seek refuge somewhere else other than God. And yet Ruth said, this God, I want to be my God. And your people, I want to be my people. She declared a faith. But she's not out of the woods yet. Yes, they've come back to Bethlehem in the days of harvest. But she still needs favor. And that's what we're going to see this morning in Ruth chapter 2. God's favor in the midst of it. So follow along as we read Ruth 2, 1 through the end of the chapter. Hear the word of the Lord. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, 
The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man, who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in the charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she, was con- she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell in her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law, since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her, and also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close to by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley harvest, barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Now here's the main idea, I think, of Ruth chapter 2. Praise be to God, who has provided a worthy man to redeem us from our despair, the man, Jesus Christ. Praise be to God, who has provided a worthy man to redeem us from our despair, the man, Jesus Christ. 
Boaz here is to point us to the redemption in Christ, as we will soon see. We're going to look at this in three different points this morning, which are coming on the screen. Point number one, a desperate need for favor. A desperate need for favor. Point number two, a worthy man shows favor. A worthy man shows favor. And point number three, a favor worthy of praise. A favor worthy of praise. First, let's consider our first point, a desperate need for favor. We can't understand our need for favor without or the favor we've been shown without understanding the need of that favor. And, and Ruth, by all means, needs great favor. Yes, in Ruth 2.1 it opens, Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Ruth is an interesting way it's structured. Because it's almost going to a split screen. Alright, I want you to see as, as readers this part. This problem, Boaz is the answer. Boaz is the answer to this problem. and wants it to be there front and center for us. Boaz is the answer to this problem of the one who will show favor. He, Boaz is also back from uh, Naomi's prayer in one nine, which says, The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. This, this Boaz is the answer to that prayer for Ruth. Boaz is the answer to this prayer for Ruth. He's the one who's going to bring her that rest. He's the one who's going to provide for her. He's the one who's going to show her this favor in the end. But before we can go ahead and see just how he's going to do this, ultimately through a redemption of marriage, we need to back up a bit and see the remarkable favor that he has shown her. But we also need to back up a step further and understand just how much Ruth and Naomi needed this favor. Look here with me in verse 2. We read, And Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. Ruth was not willing to just sit there idle and hope favor came. She was going to go out and work and pursue that favor. She wasn't going to say, oh, I hope somebody provides food for us today. No, she was willing to go out and, and work. That's not the problem. The problem is, remember, the days in which Ruth and Naomi lived. They lived in the days of the judges. A time in where everyone did what is right in their own eyes. Yes, we saw last week from Leviticus 19, 9 and 10, which says, When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest, and you shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. So that's the law given. But here's the problem. Everyone's doing what is right in their own eyes. If everyone's doing what in, is right in their own eyes, do you think many are keeping this law? No. Ruth, yes, the law is in on her side. The, the law was set and given by God to protect her. But if everyone's doing what is right in their own eyes, 
No one's keeping it. No one's carrying it out. There's very few. So she needs to find favor in the eyes of one who fears God and keeps his law. Which could be rare and a challenge. She needs that kind of favor. But we also see there's other issues that she needs this favor from. Look at Boaz's words down in, in Ruth chapter 2, verse nine or 8. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do, no, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then let your eyes jump ahead to, to Ruth 2, verse 21, or 22. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. Even if, if one was to fear God enough to keep his law in allowing the, Ruth to glean, there's the danger for her as a young woman, especially that of a foreigner. She could be assaulted. She could be taken physically advantaged of. So she needs favor in the eyes of one who will not only allow her to glean, but protect her and guard her and look out for her. But not only that, then there's the issue of of a practical need of, of hunger. She could go out and glean and work her tail off and yet have little to show for it. She needs sufficient food to care not only for her own self, but for her mother-in-law, Naomi. There's a great need here for Ruth. She understands her need for this favor. That's what she's praying here in Ruth 2.2. She's praying, God, show me this favor. Grant me this favor as I go out in labor. Christian, I want to ask you something. As we see Ruth's desperate need of favor, how often do we reflect on our ongoing need of favor? How often do we reflect on our ongoing need for this kind of favor as well? Maybe most of us don't have to worry about the kind of favor Ruth needed of practical means of finances and wealth. Maybe some do. But we have another need, a spiritual need, for that same kind of favor. And we often are quick to forget it. We're often quick to forget our ongoing desperate need for Jesus. For favor shown by Him. Because of our sin. If we do not remember where we have come from, we will never live rightly in the favor of God. Because we will think somehow we've deserved it or forgotten that we didn't deserve it. There's an arrogance in in some that would call themselves Christian. It's arrogant because they forget who they once were. Brothers and sisters, as we think through the book of Ephesians, what does Paul tell the church of Ephesus? You were dead in your sins and your trespasses. In which you once walked. You were dead in your sins and trespasses. I delivered you from this. Is what we see over and over through scripture. 
If we forget this foundational element of the Christian faith, then we, we have missed God's favor shown to us because somehow we think we deserved it. Or somehow we were better than we actually were. Christians, we don't deserve this kind of favor. We don't. Not one of you. Not me. Not you. None of us deserve God's favor. It's just that undeserved mercy that's poured out for us. But why, why go back to this? Because we can't grasp what's coming in the favor unless we remember what we don't deserve in our status. Christian, too many of us are tempted at times to grow cold in our Christian faith. And part of that growing cold is we get comfortable. We get comfortable in what it means to be a Christian. Oh, I've done that thing. I've, I've asked Jesus into my heart. I, I'm good with God. So you know what? I can just kind of ride the pipeline. I can sit on the fence and watch it all go by. Why do we struggle with missions and evangelism? It's, our primary struggle is not because we fear missions and evangelism or we don't know how to do it. Our primary problem, we've forgotten the favor that God has shown us in Jesus. We've forgotten the favor that God has shown us in Jesus. And it starts by thinking somehow we were better than we were or forgetting that issue. We need to wake up and see our sin left us dead. Each and every one of us was born in sin. No matter how clean of a testimony you think you have, you have a testimony if you have placed faith in Jesus Christ. The kid that never did anything wrong, guess what? In their heart, they've sinned. They've sinned in their thoughts and their deeds and their actions. They've sinned in disobeying mom and dad. We've all done it. And therefore, that sin leaves us guilty before God. It leaves us separated from God for all eternity. That's the issue at stake. That's what Christianity comes to answer. It comes to answer this issue of this great need for faith. How does a holy God reconcile a sinful and broken people to himself? Christian, this is our need for favor. And friend, if you're here this morning and you have yet to even understand this favor, I pray that as we continue on this morning, you'll see this great favor in Jesus and come to place your faith in him. So that's our need for favor. But now we turn to the one who comes to answer this great need. And our second point, a worthy man shows favor. Now, look with me at verse 3. Ruth chapter 2, verse 3. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. The same Boaz that was already mentioned in verse 1 and said this is somebody belonging to the family of Elimelech, a worthy man. But look what happens. Look, look who exactly is this worthy man, this Boaz. It says there in 4 through 7. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. 
Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Who is this worthy man, Boaz? He's one first that conducts himself in his business in such a God manner way that even his workers recognize it. He, he greets him as he comes. The Lord be with you. It, this doesn't come as a shock to them. Their response shows it. It says they answer the Lord bless you. Why would they call out Lord bless you if Boaz was not a man of character and conducted himself well with his workers who cared for them, was a good boss, was a good master. The worthy man was one worthy of honor because of the way he conducted himself in all that he did. But not only that, this, this worthy man knows those that are his. He's not some distant master. Look what it, again what it says there in verse 5. Then Boaz said to his young man, Who is, was in charge of the reapers? Whose young woman is this? Imagine one of those bosses that barely knows his secretary, let alone who else is under him. It's like, I don't know who it is. Who cares? Whatever. No, Boaz notices this foreigner, this, this widow woman in his field working. He said, who is this? Who is this woman? And the reaper tells him. The, the one who manages everything tells him. This is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi. She's the one who's cared for him. Here's her character. Here's what she's been about. She's gone nonstop except for a short rest working this morning. He tells everything about her. The worthy man wants to know those that are his. He wants to be in knowing them personally. He wants to be with them, close to them in proximity, not far off. That connection will be important here in a moment. The worthy man, though, continues to show who he is. So he goes from investigating who is this woman to there in verses 8. He goes directly to Ruth. He gives her instructions like, don't go anywhere else. Not only have I paid attention to who you are, I'm going to make sure you're protected. I'm going to protect you. Don't go to another field. I've instructed the men in my care under my watch to not harm you, to not let anything happen to you. You're mine. You're under my watchful eye. I'm going to make sure you're protected. But then it goes on. They had this exchange back and forth of worthiness. We'll come back to that in a moment. But then it, in verse 14, And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and passed to her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. So he feeds her. He feeds her to give her strength and energy to make it through the day. Guess what? Remember that, that law we just read from Leviticus 19? doesn't say anything about that. 
It does not call that the, the master of the field has to allow extra benefits to come to this woman. Boaz is a worthy man because he goes above the letter of the law. He goes to its intent to care for the widow and the poor. He goes above it in providing for her means. But he doesn't stop with just food. It's food that satisfies. And then he he instructs her to to be able to come and get water when she needs it as well. So she provides. But look at here how it continues in verse 15. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men saying, let her glean even among the sheaves, again, above the letter of the law, and do not reproach her. Let her go and grab where there's plenty. Let her grab as much as she wants. And then it goes on to say, even pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. So you actually help out and and grab some of these bundles and drop them accidentally for her to pick up. The worthy man Boaz keeps showing his mercy, his favor to this woman Ruth in providing abundantly for her. He protects her. He's a good master. He's one that goes above the letter of the law to show Ruth favor. The favor she prayed for, the favor of need of protection, the favor for abundance of food. Look even there in verse 17. It says, so she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned and it was about an ephah of barley. That comes out to about 30 pounds of barley. Ladies, how many of you are willing to pick up a 30-pound sack and carry it home to your mother-in-law? That's what Ruth had gathered in this day. She was able to take this 30 pounds worth of food that she had gleaned to provide for her and her mother-in-law. God poured his favor out on Ruth through Boaz. Such favor was shown to her above and beyond what deserved, above what needed. I hope you know where I'm going with this, Christian. Consider the favor that has been shown to us in Christ. Consider what rich favor that has come to us in the worthy man of Jesus Christ. One who was born of a virgin, without sin. He was flawless. He loved those that came to him. He did not reject them. The Pharisees accused him because he ate with sinners and tax collectors. And yet he welcomed them in. He was willing to bear our burdens with us. Come to me all who are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Jesus invites us to come to himself for that protection. He says, I'll lay down my own life to purchase you, to take you from being a sinner guilty of death to making you righteous in my stead, that in me you will be found righteous. Christian, do you see the favor we have been shown? The favor that we did not deserve by a worthy man greater than that of Boaz. Don't be mistaken. Boaz is is one to be modeled, and we're about to go there in our third point. But we need to ultimately see how this leads us to Jesus. Because he's the answer to the problem. He's the answer to the need 
favor that we have. But we need to fully see it. We need to be moved by this favor. How does somebody stand firm as the video we saw, seeing that God is faithful in the midst of losing everything? Because they're moved by the favor of God that has been shown to them in Jesus Christ. How do missionaries leave everything and go to the furthest places on the earth? It's not because they're super Christian. I promise you, they'll tell you that. Brothers and sisters, I spent time with our IMD missionaries, one of which spent most of his life in the Middle East. And he told me right before he was about to head back, he said, me and my wife were failed Americans. I looked at him funny. He said, what I mean by that is, we can't stay. We have to go because of the glory of God. We want to tell others about God and what he's done for us in Jesus. You see, when that favor begins to sink in what we have received in Jesus, it moves us. It takes us out of our comfort zones and says, this God is worthy of declaring to the ends of the earth. This God is worthy of praise and all worship. He's worthy of it all. But we don't see that unless we recognize that favor. Christian, see the favor we've been shown in Jesus. When we were unrighteous and in need, he made a way for us to be restored to God. Marvel in that. Don't grow cold and tired of hearing that. No matter how many times you hear it. Because it never should become less amazing. That this God has loved us in such a way that he was willing to send his own son to die for us. To save us. To rescue us. What more favor do we need to be moved to praise and worship of our God that leads us to telling others of his excellent glory. And that's where we turn in our third and final point this morning. Look with me here at verse is 19 and following. So Ruth has come back. She, she's brought all this that she's gleaned to her mother-in-law. But there in verse 19 it says, And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. Before I even come back to verse 20, I want you to picture here what is happening in Naomi's mind. The light bulbs going off. The veil that was kind of making her a little blind is kind of beginning to fall off as, as she thinks that God has forgotten and forsaken her and the dead. Because this Boaz, she knows the moment she hears that name. This is a family member. This is one of Imelech's clan, a worthy man. She knows what we were told in Ruth 2, 1, that's still unknown to Ruth. So the light bulbs are going off. Her mind's beginning to work. And look what she answers here in verse 20. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. Redeemers 
is important in context and culture here. Because the Redeemer would come in and take over the land by paying for it or making a deal for it. We'll see this in chapter 4 of this purchase take place. But this Redeemer would come in and take care of the land and buy it so that it stayed within the family clan. They would also, as a Redeemer, one of their responsibilities was if there was a widow without children, to give a child in the name of the dead. The name of one of two of Naomi's sons to provide a means for an heir. And through this marriage would come later Jesus himself. This is how God has been at work and it's causing Naomi's heart to begin to open up in worship of God. She begins to recognize what Ruth didn't. There in Ruth 2.3 when it says, So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. No. It didn't just happen. God was sovereignly orchestrating it for her to be in the field of Boaz, to protect Naomi and Ruth in this. And this causes praise to begin to rise from Naomi's heart. She's still not there yet. She's still struggling with it. It's only going to be in chapter 4 where we see this fullness of worship really break out for Naomi. But this worship is slowly beginning to take place. This praise that we see there in verse 20. Blessed be the Lord, whose, or may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi recognizes this fact that the dead and her and Ruth are not forsaken by neither God himself or by the man Boaz. Praise begins to happen in seeing the favor that God has shown. But notice again what leads to this. Let's go back to Ruth and Boaz in chapter 2, verses 8 through 13 here. Boaz tells Ruth this in, in verses 8 and 9, and then look what she responds with in verse 10. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? Ruth knows she's undeserving of this. She knows she's undeserving. Like, who are you to notice me, a, a Moabite foreigner, one that you're not called by the letter of the law to care for? She knows she's unworthy to receive this. She doesn't expect it. But it's this very thing that continues to move Ruth's heart by the unexpectedness of the favor that causes her to continue in this faithfulness, to continue the pursuit of Boaz in the end. She doesn't expect favor. Christian, when we expect or demand favor, we've not rightly understood it. When we demand favor, we have not rightly understood it. When we recognize favor for what it is, an act a gift from God, it compels us to this kind of right response of worship. If we expect it and think we're owed it, we're led to lackadaisical lives and call it Christianity. 
what I mean by that. We're left to just going through the motions. We're left to doing religion for religion's sake. That's not the kind of faith that we have been called to. It's not the kind of faith we see coming out of Ruth. We see one that is driven by the recognizing of this favor and a right response of worship. Because notice what she continues to go on here. We see in in verse 11, But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me and how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Now, it's tempting there, a quick misreading to think Boaz is saying this favor that's being shown to you is a result of something you've done. Ultimately, it's what she did there in the end of verse 12, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. It was when she committed herself to faith in the God of Israel that these things began to happen. When she declared her loyalty to Naomi and the people of Israel. It was in that moment of faith. It was by faith these things began to take place. It does not tell us that she was blessed because of what she did. She's blessed because of whose wings she's come to take refuge under And this leads to this right response. Christian, when we rightly come to faith in Jesus, it leads to a right response of worship that begins to put on these characteristics that we've seen. A Christian who has rightly tasted the favor that we have been shown in Jesus, guess what? They begin to show these characteristics of Boaz. A husband who has understood the gospel and understand the favor they have been shown in Jesus, they labor to protect their wives. They labor to provide for them. They labor to make sure they're recognized and cared for. They protect the vulnerable. Christian men, is this describing you? I hope so. Because if we're right worshipers of Jesus and have tasted the favor of Jesus, we need to be living this favor out to others. Christians, what about you? How are you showing this love and care for one another? There's many of you in this church who is quick to provide a meal in a time of need. And praise be to God for that. May that always be so. Never take that for granted. But I want to urge us a step further. Don't just provide meals in a time of need. Provide knowing one another so intimately you know the details of each other's lives and struggles. Make it so hard and difficult and uncommon for somebody to be in our midst and unknown. I don't mean just know a few facts about them. Know their name, know where they're from, know how long they've been in this town. Know them in their struggles for faith. Know how you can encourage them and pick them up when they're down. Know them in ways of regularly getting around them. There are certain groups that meet together and do a great job of this. But don't leave out those that aren't connected. Make it so uncommon 
That's the way we show this favor to others. That we include people with us and we seek to know them and know about them. That's what Boaz did for Ruth. May the favor we have been shown drive us to show this kind of favor to each other in getting to know one another. Not allowing anyone apart from their own rejection to be left in isolation. Christian, let us drive to this kind of faithfulness. We also need to see that if we are ones who have shown favor, that we're willing to declare this favor to others. Christian, I want you to think with this. We've seen already that we had a need of favor in Jesus. We've seen how Jesus came to answer this favor. You want to know the most loving thing we can make sure we're doing? Is declaring this glory, this favor to others. It's one of the most unloving things for us to do, to keep silent. But it also flows from our own cold hearts when we're unmoved from this favor. This gospel should move us to want to tell of what Jesus has done for us. How he came to die. It should compel us to say, all right, there are people dying. This Jesus came to save me from my sins. I want him to be known. I'm going to tell others, like, nothing's going to shut me up about it. Not even if laws go against me. Again, Christian... This isn't the super Christian that does these things. It's the ordinary faithful Christian who has recognized the favor that we have been shown in Jesus and can't help but tell others. It's not the super Christians that do these things. It's the faithful, ordinary Christians who are so moved by the gospel that they can't help but tell others about him. So the question we need to ask ourselves this morning are we so moved by such favor that we have been shown in Jesus Christ that we can't help but tell others about him? I pray that will be true of us. Let us love Jesus so much that we can't help but go and tell him to the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day that you have given us.